romanticizing entrepreneurship is like romanticizing, uh, you know, people who fly, you know, hundred and fifty thousand miles a year. You're like, oh my God, it's so glamorous. And it's like, it's not glamorous at all. It's hard work. It's hard work. Look, and, yeah. the, and when you're successful, then it's all worth it. Um, and when you're in the middle of it and you're like fighting those battles and you have those little wins, it's exhilarating. It's super exhilarating. Yeah. But it, it, is a, it is a form of gambling. And you're gambling with your career and you're gambling with your family and you're gambling with your life. Uh, and I don't know that gambling should be romanticized. That's <laughs> a, a very good comparison. Welcome to 14 Minutes of SaaS, the show where you can listen to the stories and opinions of founders of the world's most remarkable SaaS scale-ups. In episode six of eight, Whirly describes how risky the life of an entrepreneur is. Although he embraces risk, he believes we should go in with our eyes open. He makes the case for Austin as being the greatest city in the world to start a business and talks about the advantages of being an Eisenhower Fellow as he travels around Germany and Japan. But, you know, I was just at this event um, right before uh, Toa and these, these guys like, you know, I raised $200 million and blah, 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 blah. And, uh, I asked, well, what happened to the company? Oh, well, you know, eventually it folded, this and this and that. To me, that's even a more horrible failure. <laughs> I mean, I would never want to say, I mean, I've only raised for one company. We raised $3 million for Honest Dollar. Um, that obviously worked out great. Um, I've now raised $4 million in a seed for Strange Works. Cool. To be determined. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, you raise the $3 million for Honest Dollar, and I, the whole time, was like, we just, we went $3 million into debt. What if we do a Series A? I've never done a Series A. Yeah. I've done two seed rounds. It's the most I've done with funding in my entire career. Um, I believe, you know, Mike and I at Ecliptic Capital, it's more of entrepreneurial capital, less of venture capital, have a, a saying, right? And it's, uh, it's the entrepreneur's credo. It's use it up, wear it out, uh, make do or do without. Um, huh. That should be, you know, the, the the Bible, I think, for entrepreneurs. Yep. Uh, because it's it, it becomes too much about raising money is seen as successful because with the money comes the power. I can hire people, I can acquire, I can do stuff. But the money is a is a poison because the money can also bring complacency um, to a company. I know how long the $4 million it, it, will last me. It can me. slow you down for sure. Well, I know how long the $4 million will last me to a day. And I want yeah. to remind everybody in the company of how many days we have left uh -huh. until we run out of this oxygen that is this money in the startup. I want them to be painfully aware of that end is always near yep. because we can't rest on our laurels in such a, you know, uh, yeah, the it, time frame that you're in in a startup in the beginning. Yeah. Startups are always in one or two phases. They're struggling or they're out of business. There should be great thankful when you're struggling. When you're not struggling, you haven't been out of business, uh, you're, you're a real company. It's a, different, it's a completely different game. You but it's the same with a big company. I think big companies often rest on the laurels and they, they fail to hire people who don't have that sense of urgency or to create that urgency for them. Um, I think when you're on top, there's all the reason in the world to keep going as if the end is nigh, uh, yeah. to keep it growing, keep it going. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, the, so, the, you know, so I think, you know, it's, um, 
You know, and we have to be aware, you know, you mentioned the, the romanticizing entrepreneurship. You know, I make a, a <laughs> joke, you know, your Ink Magazine's a romance novel for business nerds. <laughs> but it's like, you hear these stories and they're, they're, they're one of two stories. They're like, just everything was amazing or they're like, I went through all this trouble. And, and it's like, you know, in my first real startup experience, because um, it joined a startup in 2000, but it was, that was, it was a startup experience. Um, yeah. And Denny Rosu and I are great friends to this day. He has a new company um, called Nodio that is pretty am amazing. And, you know, we both have grown in our careers. Cool. Um, but uh, my first real, like, I mean, like, holy shit, we work at a fucking startup. <laughs> what the fuck were we thinking was, was symbiote. And, you know, what I like to tell people is, like, we all started, we were great, we all had great places to live, we had girlfriends, all this other stuff. Then... <laughs> Then, you know, we're short a few girlfriends and and Mike and Jamie and I all moved into the same house, which wasn't Mike's house, it was a house this other guy owned that we were living <laughs> in. And, and then, you know, uh, Mike would pick me up at the Lowe's uh, around the corner and uh, drive me to the office and we would watch the repo guy every day coming through the parking lot looking for my car, right? And then eventually I just, they couldn't find the car but I didn't want any problems, so I had to go and I had to turn in the car. Wow. And then, yeah. you know, uh, everybody was moving, so we had to find places. And so during that time, I was living out of the car for a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, I met this girl, and a uh, very, very uh, kind woman, and I ended up moving in with her. And, uh, and uh, the otherwise, I would have been homeless, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, I, yeah, was, yeah. I was, I was, and you people, you know, we look at homeless people all the time, people are like, how did they end up there? And so, for sure, for some people, it's a lifestyle, they're vagabonds, mm. and, but for a lot of people, it's like, you don't realize from where you're at now, Yeah. you know, worked in Apple R&D, master inventor, IBM, all this stuff, have done all this great stuff, to to there is oh, a can, much shorter... It's much shorter than people think. I think it can happen anywhere in the world, yeah. um, and I think it's, it's, it's a, the, the slope is a bit slippier in the U.S. for yeah, for right. reasons we all know. Not, not a lot of social systems, not, not a lot, lot of, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 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 you know, when you look at this, you know, uh, we shouldn't, you know, entrepren romanticizing entrepreneurship is like romanticizing, uh, you know, people who fly, you who know, 150,000 miles a year. You're like, oh my God, it's so glamorous. And it's like, <laughs> it's not glamorous at all. It's hard work. It's hard work, Look, and, yeah. the, and when you're successful, then it's all worth it. Um, and when you're in the middle of it and you're like fighting those battles and you have those little wins, it's, exhilarating. it's super exhilarating. Yeah. But it, it, is a, it is a form of gambling and you're gambling with your career and you're gambling with your family, you're gambling with your life. Uh, and I don't know that gambling should be romanticized. That's <laughs> <laughs> a, a very good comparison. You're based in Austin, Texas. Always struck me as a cool place. Um, I haven't been there yet. I know it's a tech hub now, a startup hub now. Um, do you like living, working I there? I love it. So I moved yeah. in Austin in 93 to work for Apple. I'll never move. Um, it, it's, it's grown and people, long time Austinites, sometimes don't like how it's grown. Um, but it's becoming even more diverse. Uh, it's getting a lot more culture. It's getting a lot more influence from a lot of other places. All of these things I see is very positive. It's a very liberal city. Everybody, you know, whatever your lifestyle is, nobody cares. Nobody, you know, that whatever. It's fine. Cool. Um, it's super laid back. Uh, um, 
it's kind of the antithesis of the rest of Texas in some ways, is it? Well, it's not in Texas. See, that's a mistake. Cause oh. I don't say I'm from Texas, I'm from Austin. Cause Austin is not in Texas, <laughs> it's just surrounded by it. Gotcha, right? gotcha. <laughs> <It's the laughs> it's not an oasis, it is something of itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it just happens to be surrounded by the rest of Texas. Uh, but, you know, but I say that it's... I'm it's joking as well. Uh, uh, but, but here's the thing. Yeah. Texas is not what everybody thinks. Of course, um, of course. Are there pockets of, you know... Uh, Redneck, whatever, yeah. I know sure, of yeah, course yeah, there are. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's throughout the U.S. in yeah, almost yeah. every state, right? California has... Has its pockets. It's a Obama hater, sure. you know, Reddit, just like anywhere else. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And, and it's not yeah, less, yeah, less it's, publicized. It's a worldwide thing. You associate things with Texas in a negative way that... Uh, quite frankly, is unfair to the state. As sure. an entrepreneur, it is the greatest state to live in, uh, the greatest place to live in, in the entire world. And, and I'll explain why. The, the state of Texas, yeah? Yes, okay. because one, it is very business friendly. Sure. It's very embracing uh, of entrepreneur efforts. Mm -hmm. um, number two, uh, I am in Austin now, arguably about the 10th largest city in the U.S. Uh, Two and a half hours east, I have Houston. Yeah. An hour and a half south, I have San Antonio. Two, three hours north, I have Dallas-Fort Worth. So you're looking at four. Massive markets. Four of the top 10 cities in the US population-wise. Incredible. In a three hour radius. Now, <laughs> we don't have a high-speed train, but we have on-lane buses. Yeah. So you hop on a bus with Wi-Fi and they drive you there in three hours. You know, you just don't drive and you get an Uber around Dallas and you hop on one and you come back at night, right? Cool. But I've got finance, I've got energy, I've got pharma, I've got tech, I've got ag, Everything. I've got all of these industries. So whatever business you're starting, you don't have to go flying all over the nation. You've got big companies. You've got Shell and Exxon and BP and Houston with stuff. And you've got, you know, the Goldman's and the Barclays and everybody in the, in the finance. So it's a perfect and, and storm Houston. because you've got in, in Austin, you've got the music and the cool vibe and, and all of the other attractions. And they're just a you're a place where techies would like to work. And right? then you're a stone's throw away from all of these massive customers in the massive markets, yeah, right? Yeah. Consumer product, doesn't matter. It's an enterprise product, doesn't matter. Yeah. You've got uh, aerospace and military and everything down in San Antonio. You've got Fort Hood, uh, you know, in between Dallas and Austin, right? You know, kind of a little off to the side, but you've got all of these, these places uh, to which you can take your software and say, will you buy this software for money? Right? There's <laughs> an ultimate test no entrepreneur ever wants to do, right? <laughs> Look at our software, the interface is so great. People yeah. don't use your software for the beautiful interface. No. They use it to do something <laughs> that has value to them. Yeah. And so you take it to them. I'm a big zero user, uh, zero user interface. Uh, uh -huh. But you, you and, and very big on the nudging within the product and stuff, but you take this to a customer and you say, will you pay me money? And they say, yes. And then now you have a, a path that you can go on. I mean, that's what I'm doing right now with StrangeWorks. I've already been out pitching customers. Imagine one day, you know, day one, I'm like, in the future, there will be a product that allows you to do these things. Yeah. How much do you think you would pay for that product? Would you pay for that product? <laughs> you know, and you, you, have to, you have to go and you have to, to learn from those customers. Yeah. So I have just an infinite amount of customers right in my backyard to, to play with. Now, I'm going to visit a large bank. Uh, so that was here, a, I was going to ask here, here in Europe, I was going to ask you about this because you're here in Berlin on the Eisenhower Fellowship. Yes, and you're visiting lots of amazing people. Um, I know that I'd probably have to take a suicide pill if I found out about one or two of them or if I mentioned <laughs> them. Uh, but can you tell me? Um, are you, can you talk about some of the people you're visiting? So 
the, it's, it, I'm in a very unique position with the Eisenhower Foundation. It's an incredible organization. 1,600 fellows worldwide since the 50s. Okay, so. Wow. But when you become an Eisenhower Fellow, you have a, a project, a mission, a proposal, minus quantum.org, so bringing educational resources to uh, high school students and, and, and college students and trying to get them to realize that this quantum information science stuff is coming. We need yeah. a workforce and, you know, democratizing the training and open source, uh, you know, guides and tools and things of that nature. So the idea is that I go to two countries. Mine are Germany and Japan. And I work with experts uh, in those countries to gain some experience in how they're working. It was hard for the fellows who are here in Germany uh, to find me a lot of meetings. It's like, oh, he's coming. Quantum computing and quantum already the pool of people shrinks. Ah, okay. You know, Cause, and cause then some of the people people, are, people put it on the long finger. Right? And then I'm doing software, which no one is doing. So then the <laughs> physicists are like, "Well, I don't really know software. Like, I can talk about quantum mechanics with him, but he's not a physicist, right?" Yeah. Um, so what I did was I said, "Well, I have an advantage, which is I have a minor celebrity, yeah. and I have the ability to speak." So I said, "I will contact some of the people who've asked me to speak in Germany, which I never, I, I don't normally do. Last last year was the first time I did at sure. all." Sure. And I will line them up. So I was at uh, an amazing event. I met uh, uh, Tim Hurtgos, uh, who is the CEO of uh, Deutsche Telekom. Amazing, amazing Incredible. guy. Really, really fun guy, I think. Had a special event he had invited me to uh, in where had the very curated group of speakers and an incredible audience. Guy Standing, if you know him, uh, the universal income guy. So amazing speakers. But um, I got to meet with Tim, and I got to meet with Johannes, who puts the event together. Uh -huh. I got to meet with, uh, and I got to find out that one of my old friends from Open Source, Omar Tazi, Otazi, is the now in doing innovation for them. So I was like, I need to be the innovation officer. And it's like, hey, I know this guy. <laughs> so that was <laughs> very lucky. But I got to, um, I get to, to kind of talk to them about the project a little bit, and I got a great photo of Tim and I with the book, my new book, uh, Quantum Competing for Babies. Yeah. And then, um, and then I went, came to Toa, right? And then I met with a couple of other people, and then now, uh, on Sunday, I go to Frankfurt to the ISC. This is where I hope to meet the majority of. People, this will be a collection of people focused on supercomputing cool. and very high-performance computing, and and I'm hoping that in doing that, I uh, I will be in you know in the in a good position to deliver on the promise of my fellowship. Next up is episode seven, the penultimate in our series of eight with Whirly, and it's full of advice for entrepreneurs. He advises them to focus on data, not drama, to work on their objectivity, and to listen to the wisest voices close to them. You've been listening to 14 Minutes of SaaS. Thanks to Mike Quill for his creativity and problem-solving skills and to Katsu for the music. This episode was brought to you by me, Stephen Cummins. If you enjoyed the podcast, please don't forget to share it with your network, subscribe to the series, and give the show a rating.